Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Church 214. Glad everybody could be here tonight. If you're new or newer, especially, thank you for visiting with us tonight. And uh, if you are new or newer and you don't know, this is my beautiful, amazing wife, Heidi, uh, co-leader. We uh, serve as part of the, the leadership team and teaching team here at Church 214, uh, mother of three, uh, what else, Go- gospel sharing extraordinaire, and uh, my best friend, so, and uh, yeah. And, uh, That's my boy. and I'm her husband, and I'm just good with going with that title. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, we're just so glad that you could be here with us tonight. We're going to continue in our series, The Simple Gospel, this week, and um, it's going to be a little bit different format than we've done in the past. So tonight uh, is, is really a conversational and practical approach to sharing the gospel. So tonight it's going to be the both of us sharing, and um, as we were preparing... Uh, it, it hit me that our story is is the story of the gospel, like the way that we met. And so if you've heard this story, um, you know, be patient with me, but it, it is kind of a funny story. So I was 22 and single, and my mom calls me up out of the blue uh, and says, uh, hey, Kip, you should come to Savannah, who's my youngest sister's soccer game. He's, she says there's, uh, there's two, uh, she has two coaches, and they're both really cute. And so a couple weeks later uh, goes by, and uh, I show up on a Saturday at the soccer fields and pull up a lawn chair next to mom, and I'm like, all right, mom, what are we looking at? <laughs> and she, she literally smiles, and she goes, uh, well, I've done some research. I've done some digging, and turns out they're sisters, but one of them's married and one of them's single. I'm like, all right, that's good intel, mom. Which one's the single one? She's like, well, I didn't get that far. <laughs> so I did my best, and I looked out across the soccer fields, and, and to be quite honest, I'm like, honestly, my odds are good either way, so <laughs> I'm going in. Not trying to, not throwing shade on Chris at the time. I didn't know that uh, you were together. <laughs> so, uh, so a couple more weeks goes by, and there's an end-of-the-year soccer uh, party, uh, and uh, I do what any bold courageous, confident man would do. And I went to my youngest sister and I said, hey, I will give you $5 if you come home with the single one's phone number. <laughs> so she goes to the soccer, f- or goes to the party, gets the digits, gets two digits, gets the cell phone and the landline, which it, a landline. I was like, explain that. Yeah, the, the landline is a thing. It's a phone that used to be in the house. You would have to call it. It was attached to the wall. It was this big ordeal. And so she got the phone number. So I do what you know anybody would do. I call the cell phone, right? Because I'm gonna get I'm gonna get her. And the phone number was wrong. I got some random dude. I'm like, hey, sorry, my bad. So I call the house, and you know I'm super polite. I call, and uh, a guy answers the phone, but it wasn't her dad. It was a brother. And I just was like, hey, my name's Kip. I'm looking for Heidi. Would you just let her know that I called? And here's my number. And, uh, and Matt, doing what only Matt could do, relayed the message how? I got home from work that night, and he said, some douchebag called for you. <laughs> He's like, do not call him back. But you did. I did. 
but she did. And uh, that very first night, we spoke for like 45 minutes. And so again, being that bold, confident guy, was like, hey, you want to grab coffee? And she said, yes. And so we met for coffee. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was firing on all cylinders, right? You know, I got the phone number, got the date, got all dialed in for the date night. It was a Wednesday night after class for me. She was going to be at church finishing some ministry stuff. And, uh, man, I, like, I knew it was going to be the, uh, you know, the love at first sight story. And for you, in fact, it, it was what? Well, for me, I actually didn't even know what you looked like. So it was truly like a blind meetup. Um, and I agreed to meet him because I felt like maybe I was supposed to tell him about Jesus. <laughs> and so that's the reason I said I would meet him for coffee. Yeah, so I, I thought that I had this incredible opportunity, and really it was like a pity date for you, right? <laughs> hey, I was just sharing the simple gospel with you, buddy. But we met that <laughs> night, we met that night, and actually One World had to kick us out because we stayed so long and talked for so long. And then um, just a few short l- weeks later, we were, we were dating. Yeah. It worked out. The and, rest you know, is history. And I, yeah, the rest was history. But I didn't really know what I was in for at that point. So, <laughs> so you know, a few weeks after that, right, we're, we're in that season of the, the puppy dog love season, right, where it's like you could be doing anything with that person. It doesn't matter. You could be shoveling horse poo or, or whatever. <laughs> And, Which we did not do. And in fact, yeah, we, did, we didn't do that, but probably would have done it with you. But um, <laughs> she, she, yeah, she, you know, her idea of fun was like, hey, we should go uh, serve inner city ministry kids on date night. I'm like, well, I was thinking movie and dinner, but that sounds fine too. But we did end up going to dinner one night. And uh, on the way to dinner, this is when I knew I was in trouble. Well, on the way to dinner, we had to stop and get gas at Casey's and Morton, which no longer exists. God bless her soul. Um, I love me some Casey's. And uh, I pump the gas, pay for the gas, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. I had gone in to get candy for the movie. Contraband for the movie, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and waiting. Finally, like, I have to move out of the way because they're coming in to, so, so other people are coming in to pump gas. So I pull up to the window, and I peer in, and I can see Heidi in this, like, very intentional conversation. And at first, I thought she was giving this lady the riot act. Like, I don't know, something was wrong with the peanut M&Ms or something. <laughs> but then, like, it became very apparent that Heidi and this lady were in a very intense emotional conversation. So we waited a few more minutes. She comes out. She gets in the car. And I'm like, what in the world happened? Like, what, what went in there? And she says to me, I went in to get the peanut M&Ms. And I just happened to ask the lady how her day was going. And she just started pouring out her soul to me about how terrible her life had been. And she's like, so I just got to encourage her and pray over her. And I'm sitting there like, come again? Like, what is going on here? Just a normal Friday night. Just a normal Friday night. So that's when I knew I was in trouble. But I tell that story because if you know Heidi or if you've been around Heidi for any period of time, um, a lot of people will say like, Sharing the gospel for Heidi is super easy, or she's natural at it, or she just um, is very personal. But, but the reality is, is that you have made it a point to be intentional about um, sharing the gospel with people, seeing people the way Jesus sees people, and it's not always easy, and it hasn't always been easy. So in, in your experience, Heidi, I thought that you could share, like, 
how you have developed this natural, what almost appears to be like a natural approach to sharing the gospel with people. Yeah, I think Kip's right. Uh, most people think that for me, it's just second nature to share the gospel. And it is now. Uh, but I'm about at almost 30 years in practiced of sharing the gospel. And so it actually was birthed out of something that I was very, very afraid of. I was very afraid of showing up in front of Jesus on judgment day for my own life and answering to him if I had not shared the gospel. I was very afraid of that reality. And so with that in mind, if it is okay to build your character based on fear, you know, fear is not of God, but I was so afraid that there would be people that did not know Jesus and it would be on my watch. And so um, that's, where, that's where that boldness started to come from and why I started to share just really openly the gospel with, with people. Um, before we go further tonight, I actually want to do a quick mind exercise with you. This is not going to be weird. I just want to ask you all to close your eyes for a minute. And I know tonight's already been a fairly intimate experience for some of you. You're probably ready to split right now. But I believe there's something in this for you tonight. So I want you to just clear your mind. And I want you to picture this scene as I read these words to you. Your time on earth has just ended. The joy since entering the gates of heaven has exceeded anything you ever dreamed possible. Every direction you look is a celebration of the highest magnitude. The Father God's extreme glory has truly awakened you. The colors of heaven are unlike anything you've ever seen, as if a constant sunrise and sunset, yet even better somehow. The faces are more beautiful than anyone you've ever known on earth. The fragrance of heaven surrounds you and is sweeter than anything you've smelled before, yet you recognize this fragrance. You realize that the same fragrance existed on earth, but you only noticed it a time or maybe two your entire lifetime, and the thought hits you. There was more of Jesus' presence on earth than you ever took time to notice. Jesus has been smiling at you since the moment you stepped foot into his presence. He is the fullness of joy. You've been speaking with him, and you've never felt love so pure and true. His laughter, oh my goodness, his laughter. It is something you never thought to imagine, yet somehow you would never possibly be able to live without the sound of his laughter. He picks up what looks to be a nice leather journal and he hands it over to you. You immediately notice that your name is engraved on the cover. This prize of extreme worth, your name engraved by the Father's hands. You begin to tremble due to the mere holding of this item the Father has created. Jesus smiles at you. His eyes are sparkling. You did not know joy could be this true. Open it, Jesus says. You open it. You're shaking. You've never held something more holy. Your name is written with perfection and a date alongside it. But you ask Jesus, why this date? I don't know this date. This is before I was even born. He laughs and he tells you that everyone asks that. He said the angels wagered you would ask the same. Jesus says that is the date we knew you, the date we named you here in the heavenly places, the date you were in our minds. You have never felt more seen, never this known. You wonder if you should ask Jesus about that no tears in heaven thing you think you read about once because you're pretty sure tears are about to spill. Then you see your date of birth, 
and then names and dates and locations. You're reading the names, some familiar to you, some well-loved by you, some unknown, some strangers. Who are they? You realize the locations are places you've journeyed to and from, places you know well, others you merely visited a time or two, restaurants, churches, workplaces, school, vacations, your home addresses. You see names you do not recognize and dates and locations by them, yet you know their locations. You look up at Jesus and he's grinning and you ask, what is this? What do these names and dates and locations mean? Why are they in a book with my name on it? And in a tone more loving than any words you've ever heard spoken, Jesus pulls you into an embrace, and he says to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. These are the souls we assigned to you. And as you open your eyes, I want you to picture the names in your own leather journal that Jesus might get to hand you someday, people whose lives you've influenced. And I want us to take the next few minutes that we have here together to set in stone the commission Jesus gave us to seek and save the lost, to create disciples. Matthew 28, 16 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus told us to make disciples, and my question is, how is that going for you? How's that working out? Believers, this is a question for the believers of Jesus in this room. How is that going for you, creating disciples? You know, it terrifies me to think how many books might have to be in heaven for the names that I've missed. You know, like how beautiful this thought that there would be names written in a book of people I've influenced. How terrifying the amount of shelves might be needed with the amount of names in books of people I've missed. And I wonder if in God's extreme grace, if he is willing to reassign those names when I've missed an opportunity. So when I interact with somebody in a public setting and I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me and I let my fear of man or my concern of what they'll think about me or maybe you're too shy, what, is, what happens to that name? Does it get reassigned? Does God give us a second shot? You know, sometimes, I know this might sound crazy to you, sometimes I actually pray for the names of the people that I've missed. And I ask Jesus to either give me a second shot with them or to send someone else because I can't bear the thought that they would burn in eternity because I missed it. And that might sound dramatic, but I think the reality is eternity is pretty dramatic, especially hell. So I want to say, like, why do I share the gospel as an individual on a planet with plenty of people doing their part? Why do I share the gospel? The first reason is real simple, just because Jesus told us to. And that alone should be enough for us. Um, the second thing is that I absolutely do believe there are souls assigned to me. I really do. I believe that there are people that God has put in my path for me to reach, and no one else is coming for them. It's my job. So that's why I do it. Um, and I just, I can't bear the thought that for all of eternity, someone might spend it apart from God because of me. 
because maybe I was worried I didn't know enough about the Bible when I was younger, or maybe I was worried that someone might think I was crazy, um, that I would, I would keep quiet about who Jesus is to look better in front of people. You know, this very month, um, our family, many of you know this, but our family, within 12 days' time, we had two godly men step from life on earth to eternity with Jesus. And one of them was my grandfather. I got to share with all of you about him. One of, him was, one of them was my Uncle Mikey. And, um, you know, within 12 days' time, when you're grieving and you have the hope of Jesus, it looks a lot different than if you're grieving and you're, you're wondering if they're receiving torment in hell. But we as a family get to know that they are with Jesus, and that's a beautiful, comforting thought. But it makes heaven and hell that much more real when you can picture your, your grandpa and your uncle in the presence of Jesus right now, right now as we sit here in this church. Um, I think I want to encourage you guys with the thought that Jesus doesn't make us preach the gospel alone. He didn't give us instruction and then bail. He sent us the Holy Spirit. He said that I'm going to give you a helper, and that helper is with us all the time. And so as you're, some of you are sitting here and you look terrified, like I'm going to give you three names out of a hat, and you've got to go win them to Jesus by next Sunday. Um, I'm not going to make you do that. Um, but I just, I want us to be aware of the fact that, that this is a really big deal. Revelation 20:15 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she would be thrown into the lake of fire. And it, you know, it doesn't sound like a very gracious God, someone who would let someone burn in eternity, but he's such a gracious God that he gives us free will. And that free will is played out here on earth, and it's happening right now under our watch. And so um, our greatest hope today as we're sharing with you our approach to sharing the gospel is that it would ignite something in your spirit that it may affect one life. Like I'm not talking books and books worth of lives. I'm talking one soul, that one soul could be changed because of your life. Um, so here's some practical things that I do. Uh, number one, I've just learned to ask Jesus. I, I don't do it every day. I should. I just sometimes go weeks forgetting to ask this. But I ask Jesus, do you have a soul assigned for me right now? And then I just listen. And as I'm going about my day, sometimes it just clicks. I'm like, this is the soul. And whatever I feel prompted to do for that person next, I do it. Um, I've also learned to just recognize what the voice of Jesus sounds like so that when he instructs me, I know it's him. Because if that voice speaks to me, I know I cannot hedge, right? Like, I better be dealing with what that voice is saying right now. Um, so if I feel him prompt me to share, I do it no matter what. No matter what it looks like, even if it makes Kip super uncomfortable, <laughs> which has happened a time, a time or two. In our marriage, a, f a few times he's been uncomfortable about how... how uh, I'll just go wait in the car, babe. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's done that a few times. But I don't want people to be reassigned. I, like, I want to fulfill the mission, and I don't, I don't want to be... Um, I don't want them to be reassigned. Um, the second thing I try to do really hard... This is practical. You can all do this. I try to emulate characteristics of Jesus in my normal, everyday setting. So, for instance, when I'm at a restaurant and someone's serving me, I know how hard it is to serve people. So when they're serving me, I try every single interaction to say two things to them. At the end of the meal, I say, thank you for serving us. I want them to know that I value them. 
Um, and the second thing I try to do is I try to ask them throughout the time that we've spent with them, how is your day? And then I really listen. And you would be amazed how many people, especially in places you frequent, will open up to you by a simple question, how is your day? And then you listening. Like I have learned things about our servers in our favorite restaurants that are unbelievable. And then we've gotten to pray with people just by asking that. Um, the third thing I try really hard to do is I do not avoid using the name of Jesus in a public setting. Like I absolutely refuse to be politically correct when it comes to the name of Jesus. Um, you know, the name of Jesus is very powerful. And the number one best way to let someone come to Jesus is for the, for the demons that are around that person to flee. And when you use the name of Jesus, the demons have to flee. So converting them becomes a lot easier. So I recommend the name of Jesus. Um, number four is if the Holy Spirit tells me this, he does it often. He'll say, ask them if they know Jesus loves them. It's not very theological. You know, it's not like this deep four-point thing. It's just like, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? And almost every time they first look at me in shock, and then an invisible wall drops, and they just start to share about their life. I don't know why, but I've gotten to lead an elderly man on the beach of Jamaica to Jesus asking that question. I got to lead a six-year-old boy on the streets of L.A. to Jesus asking him that question. I got to lead teenagers in the public school settings in the United Kingdom asking them that question. Do you know Jesus loves you? Because here's the reality. Many of you know the tune, like Jesus loves you. Most people do not know that that is truth. They have not experienced the hope of Jesus. And so when you ask them that simple question, do you know that Jesus loves you? They can say, yeah, or no, and that can be it. But it plants a seed in their spirit that cannot be unplanted. Um, and then right here in our own city, I've gotten to lead lots of people to Jesus, just asking them, do you know Jesus loves you? So it's really simple, guys. I think the church in general has complicated the gospel. They think, like, we think, like, man, I got to know this whole book inside and out better than all the leaders in my church. Then I'll preach the gospel. But that it starts right now. It starts real simple with a simple question of, like, do you know Jesus loves you? And then just conversing from there. Don't worry, I'm wrapping up. Um, at the age of four, I realized that I needed Jesus as my Savior. And I happened to be spending the night at my aunt and uncle's house that night. And um, interestingly, this was the uncle who just stepped into eternity this week. And um, I slid out of the little bedroom we were sleeping in with my older siblings. And I went and I woke up my uncle and I said, he said, what's wrong, Heidi? And I said, I think, I, I think I've realized I need Jesus in my heart. And he got the biggest smile on his face. And he said, we better wake up your Aunt Cindy. And so he woke up Aunt Cindy, and we went, and we knelt by their couch, and Uncle Mikey led me in a prayer to Jesus. You know, and it hit me this week, and it was the most wonderful thought. I thought, I wonder if Uncle Mikey has seen my name in his journal from Jesus this week. You know, I wonder if he saw the date of 1987 when his niece, who was four years old, stepped into eternity with Jesus because of his love in my life. And, you know, he wasn't the only person that poured into me. But I bet he's realizing why Jesus called him to love his nieces and nephews in such a sacrificial way. Why Jesus called him to give up weekends and invite his little nieces and nephews before he had kids over 
to spend time in his presence and in his home. And I realized that he's probably thinking it was all worth it. It was all worth it. So two quick things before I pass the mic off to Kip. Um, I want you to ask yourself, whose name was written for you? Like, your name, whose book will, will, will that be in? Who influenced you into loving Jesus? Because there was somebody. Somebody planted the seed, and there could be multiple people. So who was assigned your name? And then number two, who are the names assigned to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? Because there's someone in your life right now. Students sitting in the back, you got someone assigned to you right now. You know, the Caterpillar executives sitting in this room, you have someone assigned to you right now. The, the young adult who thinks you have just made the biggest mistake of your life, you have got someone assigned to you right now. And you cannot afford to have your eyes so focused on self that you forget that people are going to hell on our watch. Like I had two men in my family step into eternity in 12 days. Time is short. It is fleeting. Um, I think the thing I hope you hear tonight is that it's not a template on how to share Jesus. And as Kip shares, you're going to see that. Um, so Kip, I know that you and I are you're very, we're very different than each other in almost every single way. Um, we're truly opposites. And I want you to share with us some of the things that you've done um, in order to share the gospel and how it differs from me. Yeah, so that was so good, babe. And, you know, you are, as you've just illustrated, so um, interpersonal, you, you, you crave that, that um, intimate relationships with people and, and creating um, dialogue with people, which is, which is really, really awesome. And, um, and so we're gonna take a hard right. <laughs> we're gonna do a different approach. <laughs> so, um, oftentimes, it, I feel like a story is the best way to, to illustrate uh, something, so I'll share a story with you. So, early on in our marriage, uh, I was working for an organization, and um, the owner of the organization was a Christian. Uh, but what was interesting was that within the organization, um, with the exception of one or two people and then myself, um, it was about as crude of a place as you can possibly imagine working. In fact, if cancel culture was a thing like 15 years ago at this place, they would have canceled this whole For business sure. in yeah. by like 8:30 on Monday morning. I mean, it was it was yeah. it was really brutal. I mean, you think like we joke about it but like um disparaging women and minorities and the unborn and language was terrible. And so as a new, like, I was the youngest guy there, new employee, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I navigate this, right? And so what would happen is, is, is many of us would get there very early in the morning, like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and so we would all drink coffee down in, in this uh, one gentleman's office, and this is where most of the shenanigans would happen. And uh, quickly, I started... Uh, kind of jokingly pushing back on some of the statements that they would say, right? Not like, not not coming with a hard, hey, you can't say that, but being like, hey, that was, that's maybe a little over the top, man. Like, you should try to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, that would just egg them on anymore. But um, 
One thing that would happen is that, as I mentioned, their language was awful, but there was one thing that was just a non-starter for me, and that was uh, a number of them would use the Lord's name in vain. Like, I'm not talking about occasionally. I'm talking about every single sentence with viciousness. Like, you, you might have been around people like this where they're not saying it casually. Like, there's almost an anger attached to them using the Lord's name in vain. And that was, that was a non-starter for me. Like, it was not going to happen on my watch. And so I made it really clear early on. I'm like, hey, you guys can, like, do all this stuff. Like, I don't agree with it. And I've made my point clear that I don't agree with it. You can drop F-bombs. I'm not going to get all worked up about it. But, like, this is the thing. I'm drawing a line in the sand. You can't say it anymore. And at first they were kind of like, yeah, wh- whatever. And they were like your cubicle mates. Yeah. So they were like right there. Yeah, yeah. We're all like yeah. right here. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work. And they're just, you know, going on and on. And uh, I don't know why. But, well, I know why because I carry archery stuff around with me all the time. But at this particular time in my cubicle, I had a, an arrow. And, in fact, it wasn't this arrow. I should have kept that arrow, though. There was an arrow, and it didn't have any fletchings on it. And I don't know if anybody has uh, held an arrow before, but this is 30 inches of carbon whooping, and it will hurt really bad if you get hit with it. And before I knew what I had done one day, as they were using the Lord's name in vain, I picked up this arrow and nearly as hard as I could hit the guy next to me with it across the back. (laughs) and I don't know if his eyes were bigger or my eyes were bigger about what had happened but he looked at me and I looked at him and I said you can't use the Lord's name in vain and he didn't again I wonder why and so I tell that story because it's funny in part but because there's something that came out of my time there There were two men, uh, one being the ringleader of kind of all this stuff, who towards the end of my time there uh, recommitted his life to Jesus and started going to church again, taking his family to church. And he has continued, every time I see him since, told me that the reason he recommitted his life is because he saw what Jesus was doing in my life And he wanted a part of that. And so I never preached to him. I never, hey, said, do you know Jesus? I simply lived my life in a way that he saw the fruits of my life. And he saw that he wanted a part of that. Um, The other gentleman, while he's never, to my knowledge, uh, committed his life uh, to Jesus, uh, one day a few years ago approached me and said, hey, Kip, there's nobody in my life that... I could even think to ask this that I respect enough, but would you officiate my wedding? And unfortunately, I wasn't able to because of some some conflicts. But I was due with a baby. Yeah, I think that was probably it. It was out of country. Yeah. So there was that. Yeah. So the point in telling the story is is that, as Heidi said, I think a lot of times when we're looking to share the gospel, we're often in kind of one or two camps, right? We're in this camp of very intrapersonal, wanting to build relationships, really seeing people for who they are, which is absolutely a biblical approach and a great way. And if you have an inclination for that approach, you should absolutely hone that skill. 
But then there's another camp of people, and I would kind of include myself in that camp, where um, deep interpersonal relationships, especially with people that I don't know, are very difficult for me and make me feel very uncomfortable. And for a period, it was an excuse to not engage in, in those relationships. But the reality is, is that not every interaction that you meet with someone do you have to go to the deep interpersonal relationship thing? And I think we need to simply look at Jesus and his time and his ministry to see that, right? So the first example is Nicodemus, right? So in uh, John, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, and he gets into this very deep uh, dialogue with, with Nicodemus. There's questions and rebuttals and then questions nest, nested, nested inside of questions. And so they, they have this very long dialogue where Jesus is very patient and answering these questions. And it's, it's, you know, 20 plus verses of them going back and forth. That would maybe be an example of, of like with Heidi or if you have that uh, approach where building the relationship is, is a great way to do it. But then you simply need to look at like the young uh, rich ruler in that case, the ruler comes to Jesus. And he's like, hey, Jesus, what do I need for everlasting life? And Jesus is like, hey, obey the commandments. He's like, hey, I've done that. And he says, okay, sell all your belongings and commit your life to me. It's like barely five verses. Like, hey, this is truth. Go do it. And he moves on. And so certainly if you're on kind of my end of the spectrum and, and there's an infinite number of um, data points between that, like if you're less inclined to be uh, a very like interpersonal person, then certainly there are times when you are called to have those relationships, but it's also uh, oftentimes uh, as effective to live your life in a way that is full of fruit and points people to Jesus and then simply speak truth, objective truth, simply and plainly for someone and then move on. Yeah. So, um, with our remaining time here, you know, one of the things that I wanted to point out, and obviously we're getting very, very close to moving into 307, is that um, for the life of Church 214, we've had, we'll say, a very homogenous demographic. And when we get to 307, if you've not given thought to this, you should give thought to it. Um, we are going to be in downtown Peoria, and we're going to be in a part of the city where there's kind of a confluence of different demographics coming together, and as such, our church is going to be representative of that. It's not going to look like it looks tonight. It's going to look like really what hopefully heaven looks like, where people from all makes and models and dem demographics and economics and everything are coming together to hear truth, and so um, you have a tremendous am amount of experience in that. If people don't know, Church 214 uh, partners with Dream Center Peoria, and Heidi, um, to, to understate it greatly, was instrumental in bringing Dream Center Peoria to Peoria as well as Adopt-A-Block. So maybe if you could touch on kind of what it looks like to share the gospel in an inner city type of um, environment and what that looks like as we go into 307. Yeah, I'll actually kind of rush through this a little bit for sake of time tonight. But at the age of 17, 18, I got to partner with my pastor at the time to create the Peoria Dream Center. And um, there was nothing like it in our city at the time. And I was actually sent to the LA Dream Center to train and to learn about inner city ministry. Because we had planted a church, which is Riverside Community Church, and we had this influx of people who were very different. You know, we, we would interact with children who hadn't showered in months. 
um, you know, people who were homeless or without jobs or um, had no education. And so it became very apparent very quickly that we needed to have some training and have some approaches to love these people and train them and lead them well. Um, so I went out to LA, I got trained in inner city ministry, came back and with my pastor's blessing and some other influential people, we got to launch the Peoria Dream Center. And it was a super exciting time in my life. Um, the first thing we launched was called Adopt-A-Block. Now we would go out to the poorest communities in Peoria. Every Saturday morning, there was anywhere from about 50 to 250 volunteers every weekend. And we would go out and we would send the same people to the same block every single Saturday morning. And we would knock on their doors and then we would just do anything we could to serve them. We would say like, are you guys hungry? If they were hungry, we would help feed them. We got to partner with restaurants like Panera and give away their day-old food. Um, uh, grocery stores that were taking produce off of their shelves that was still perfect, we got to give that out. Um, if they were needed clothing for their kids, we would help clothe them. Um, if they were sick, we would help them get the medical care they needed. So our belief was that if we were able to help with their physical needs, which is extremely massive in that part of the city, that we would eventually get to help with their spiritual needs. So you fill a physical need, and then you're going to get to help with their spiritual needs as well. We would ask if we could pray for them. We would help rake their leaves. I remember one lady was um, getting ready to have a huge fine from the city because her house was peeling so badly that uh, mold was growing on her wood siding. So we were able to partner with her, help her raise the funds to bring in a work crew and to fix her house. So physical things that helped them kind of get a footing in order to not be so overwhelmed. It was incredible. There's one particular block, um, and I'm gonna tell a story of one man. Holly was on his block. She was an eight-year-old little girl. She's now our executive director. And my brother, um, Isaac, who's not here tonight, was on that block. And they knocked on this young guy's door for weeks before he ever opened the door. And we found out later that the reason he didn't open the door is because he was usually hungover or high and someone knocking on his door at 9, 10 in the morning on Saturday was not ideal for him. So fast forward a few weeks, he finally decided that he would clean up the paraphernalia. He would decide to open the door one time just to be nice so he could basically tell them, hey, please stop knocking on my door on Saturday mornings. So he opens the door. He ends up inviting them in for coffee. Correct? You guys went in for coffee the first day? They go in. They have this great conversation with this guy. He ends up getting, um, every Saturday morning, he decides he wants them coming back. He ends up beginning to invite many of us into his home for breakfast after Adopt-A-Block on Saturday mornings. And he would make us these massive, amazing breakfasts. This young man was raised by a great family, but he'd gotten connected with the wrong crowd. And um, now he's a very successful employee at Caterpillar. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got beautiful children. And you know what that guy's doing this month? He's running for the mayor of Peoria. Yeah. So the point is this. It is always worth pouring into people. You don't always get to see the seeds, um, the fruit, like maybe I've gotten to see in that gentleman's life or that maybe you've seen in people around you. But it's always worth pouring into people, even when they're completely different than you, because Jesus is right there with you. Like, you may not be able to relate to them, but Jesus can. He's experienced everything they've experienced, and so he can give you the resources you need to know how to reach those people. 
Um, and certainly as we're down at Oak Street, we are going to have a lot of people come through our doors that you might feel very uncomfortable knowing how to interact with them. You know, maybe they're living a lifestyle that you're like, I just cannot relate to you. I, I cannot relate to the fact that you get paid to do what you do. Um, and yet you might be responsible for sharing Jesus with them. So I want you to just have eyes open as we go into this next season that, hey, this isn't about us anymore. You know, Jesus has saved us. He has redeemed us. And this is about who we get to reach in this next season. Um, I'm going to close, Kip. I want to read Matthew 25 to everybody. This is why we did Adopt-A-Block. And this is why we serve people. This is talking about the final judgment, and these are the words of Jesus. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as the, sheep, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me, in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you did not give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they, will then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you refuse to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And that's really the point. It's clothing the naked, it's, it's feeding the hungry, it's giving a drink to the thirsty. And that is the simple gospel. It's just being the hands and feet of Jesus in whatever manner we can be. So yeah, so as we close, you know, this is, this has all been great, but um, so if you have, uh, if you're sharing the gospel regularly, or you don't have an issue doing so, this isn't for you. Keep doing whatever you're doing. If you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm a Christ follower and I have never shared the gospel, or I am so intimidated to share the gospel that I'm you know, overcome with fear or fear of man whenever I do it, this is for you. We're going to give you two practical ways that you can share the gospel. So um, the first is, Know your testimony. Okay, so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, what is a testimony? Testimony is your story. Know your story. It's the easiest thing that you can do. Knowing your story, knowing how Jesus has redeemed you and how he's worked throughout your life is the easiest story that you can tell. I love the quote, a 
man with an argument has no power over a man with a story. Like, you cannot argue with somebody else's story, and somebody else can't argue with your story. So know your story. I would go so far as to say, have two versions of your story. Have a quick story and a long story. Have a two-minute version where if you have two minutes with somebody, you can share the gospel with them, what Christ has done in your life, and move on. Then have a longer version, the detailed version, the version where if you're building a relationship with somebody, you are able to, in detail, explain all the ways that God has worked in your life. And what I would say is, is that, as, I, as we both kind of touched on earlier, we so often want to have a template for how to engage people. There is no template. All you can do is know your story, be able and be prepared to share the gospel, and ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me share with this person in this moment, this time? And just keep asking that question for every interaction you have. Don't predispose you know how the interaction should go. Just say, hey, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do for this interaction, for this relationship? And then the last thing I would encourage you in, my friend Sarah does this better than anyone I know. She's sitting right there and she's like, like hiding her head right now. Invite people to church because you might feel super uncomfortable to share the gospel. So you can let your church do the heavy lifting. Um, the, the gospel gets presented at church nearly every Sunday. And so you can invite people to church and get, get their butts in these pews or down at Oak Street when we're there and like let that be their first experience. And then as you do that, as you become more familiar with that, you're going to become more comfortable sharing it yourself. And so that's a great way. Sarah invites people to church multiple times every single week, and I'm so proud of her for it. Like, we all need to be taking a lesson from her because she is just always like, you should come to my church. I'd love to have you at my church. Have you heard about my church? Um, and the thing is this, like, people need invited to church. You might, you might discount your neighbor next door. They may have been never invited to church, and they're 50 years old. Like, can you even fathom if you did not have a church community and here you sit surrounded by people that love you? They need this body. So invite people to church is a great way to share the gospel. You want me to pray? That's it. Pray us out, babe. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that the gospel was your idea. I thank you that you, um, you knew that we needed the Holy Spirit if you were going to include us in your plan to reach people. And so, God, I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to help us. Father, I pray right now that there would be a boldness come over this church body, that we would become so willing to share your, your name in public settings, um, God, especially in a, in a time and a culture where everything is so rocky. God, we need you more than ever. We need the hope of Jesus more than ever. And people need you. Father, with suicide rates and depression and anxiety, we need you, Jesus. So I just pray right now that a boldness would come over this church body and that we would begin to step into an obedience of your instruction, that we would begin to truly share the hope of who you are. God, that we would not have a fear of man. God, that we would not have a, a concern that we don't know enough Bible to share about who you are. I pray that we would not be too shy to speak your name in public settings. Lord, I pray that not one single person hearing my voice would be discounted from this prayer including the one person who thinks, yeah, I'm disqualified from that. I pray that that person would be the one that begins to lead people to Jesus quickly. 
God, I thank you that someday we're going to see the reports of the names that got led to Jesus from the people in this room. And it may not be here on earth. It may be in heaven. But God, I thank you for that celebration. I thank you that you're in this place. God, I thank you for answered prayers. I thank you for the Simbersky son. God, I thank you that you are so intimately involved in the desires of our hearts. I just pray for the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit to fall on each and every one of us. God, that we would be bold enough to ask Jesus, who do you have for me to reach? And then we would go to the ends of the earth to reach that person. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.